Bible reading is taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother, and the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told her to give her something to eat. Good morning and uh, welcome to Church at Home. 
My name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. If you're with us for the first time, we're delighted you've joined us and I do hope that by the grace of God our talk this morning will be a blessing and an encouragement to you, even as you continue in fellowship with a local church. Now if our talk this morning leaves you with questions or you'd like somebody to pray with you, can I invite you to visit our website www.sbbc.org and on the home page there's a contact tab where you can leave your contact information and someone on the team will get back in touch with you during the week. Uh, but first, as we, uh, before we begin our study, uh, let's bow and I'm going to ask for the Lord's help. Well, our gracious Heavenly Father, you have promised to be with your church watching over us, protecting us, providing all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that you know our past and understand it completely, that you know our needs and are able to meet them adequately, that you know our destiny and are able to prepare us for it perfectly. Will you come to us now and speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, that each of us might be conscious that we're listening to the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, calling us now to follow him into the future. For it is in his name that we ask it. Amen. Well, I do hope you have your Bible open this morning at the passage Gillian has just read for us, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Uh, and we're looking at this under the title, Our Only Hope. Now, I do want to ask you, uh, to give your mind to the study this morning. Uh, I've put my mind on Mark 5 in my preparation this week, thinking not only about what the passage says, but how to teach it. And you need also to put your mind not only on the word Gillian has read, but also on the sermon. And I say that because preaching is a strange business. It seems there is a rather weird disconnect between what the preacher actually says and what so many people seem to hear. And you don't find that disconnect anywhere else. So, for example, you could go on a course on plumbing and the instructor might say something like this. I want all of you students to collect a tap, uh, attach it to the fitting, screw it on and watch what happens. And the following week, the students will come back and say... Well, yes, we did collect the tap, uh, we joined it to the fitting, the water's flowing, this is absolutely marvellous. Or to give another example, uh, when your children are allowed back to school, a parent might say to their child, I want you to collect your lunch from the fridge, put it in your bag and make sure that you eat it. And at the end of the day, uh, by a miracle, the child might say, what a wonderful lunch that was today. But... When the preacher stands up and says, we need to collect eternal life from Jesus and then begin to live that life, people will say afterwards, it sounds like you're asking me to fly to the moon. And the disconnect between what has been said and what has been heard is amazing. So do please apply your mind to this today as much as you're able. Now, although this is the shortest of the four Gospels, uh, we've been working steadily through it for the past few weeks and finding all kinds of surprising treasure. 
what we've seen so far is that Jesus Christ has come announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth. And we've seen, that we've seen him proving that he has the power to bring it about. So when people come to him with physical problems, he heals them. Uh, when people come to him with spiritual problems, he frees them. If the problem is external, like the storm on the lake that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he's able to calm it. <clears throat> and if the problem is internal, like the man possessed by demons, he's able to rescue and solve the problem. And uh, we might say to ourselves at this point in chapter 5, well, okay, we've got it. Uh, Jesus can solve problems. We know that. Uh, you don't actually need to say any more about it. But Mark has added the reading we have today for a specific purpose. He wants to teach us two vital things about Jesus that he hasn't said before. He's not repeating himself. <clears throat> and what he has to say, I think, is a word in season to all of us as we try to come to terms with the global pandemic. Uh, these two things emerge from two events that happened on the same day in the ministry of Jesus. First, there was a man who came to get his daughter healed. And there's also a woman who came to get herself healed. Now again, you might say, well, we've already been told that Jesus can heal people. So why are we being told that Jesus healed two more people? Well, this man is going to learn something that is bigger and better than anything he could ever have imagined. And this woman is going to learn something that is bigger and better than anything she could ever have imagined. And you and I need to learn these things for ourselves this morning. Now, we know that these two events intertwine. So, we start with the man, he's coming to get his daughter healed. And then we move to the woman, and she's coming to get herself healed. And then we go back to the man. And there is this kind of intertwining in the way Mark tells the story. Why do these two events intertwine? Well, the simplest explanation is because that's what actually happened on that particular day. Uh, it's not artificial. This is what happened. man came to Jesus, then a woman came, and afterwards Jesus went on with the man. But having said that, there are some very striking parallels between the two events, and I wonder if you noticed them. Uh, the man is concerned about a female, his daughter, and then another female comes with her problem. So, there are two females. Both females are ritually or spiritually unclean. One of them because of blood, the other because of death. Then the woman's illness <coughs> and the girl's age are both given as 12 years. Both, you'll notice, are referred to as daughter. And you'll notice that in both stories, somebody falls at Jesus' feet. Uh, in both stories, someone receives a word from Jesus and in both stories, there is an astonishing outcome. So, a little bit later, I'll try and tell you why I think these two events are intertwined. But before we get there, you might like to be thinking about that for yourself. Now, we're going to look at the two incidents under two headings. The first heading is a word for life in verses 24 to 34. And then the second heading is a word for death. And that comes from the first three verses and the last section up to verse 43. But first then, a word for life. 
Uh, In verse 21, we read that Jesus has come back to the promised land. Uh, If you remember, if you were with us last week, you remember he crossed the lake, uh, he left the promised land, he met with legion and the demons, but now he's come back across the lake. And in the promised land, a synagogue ruler called Jairus comes up to him, uh, falls at his feet and begs for help. And uh, we know from the story so far in Mark, that if a synagogue ruler falls at Jesus' feet, he has to have run out of options. This is a very embarrassing, very costly thing for this man to do. Now, of course, it is a terrible thing for a father to face the decline of his child. A terrible thing, actually, for a father to watch his 12-year-old daughter slipping away into death. He must have heard that Jesus has power, and he must have put away all of his prejudices, and all of the cost to his reputation in order to come and fall at Jesus' feet. And he begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter, and Jesus agrees to go with him. Now, did Jesus have to go? Couldn't he just have spoken, and uh, the little girl would have been well? Couldn't Jesus just have said something, so that the man could have gone home and found his daughter already healed? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, There are other occasions when Jesus did tell people to go home and someone would be well, and they did go home and they were. But Jesus doesn't do that here, because Jairus is going to learn something that he couldn't learn in any other way. But first there's an interruption. An unnamed woman uh, causes Jesus to stop in the crowd. That would have been very stressful for Jairus, because time is running out for his daughter. And we all know that powerful men don't like to be kept waiting, and certainly not in a crisis. Uh, But Jesus does stop because someone in this massive crowd has touched him. Now think about that. Uh, Before the lockdown, we've all seen great celebrities in the middle of a crowd. So after the Rugby World Cup, the South African players were surrounded by massive crowds wherever they went. And here Jesus is completely surrounded by a large crowd. People are pushing him, they're shoving him, but someone touches him. Why is there a huge crowd around Jesus? Well, he's really doing things. Uh, He's changing people. Jesus usually avoided publicity. He actually got far more publicity than he wanted. Uh, People who don't, um, don't deserve publicity, they often have to manufacture it. They might retain a a PR firm or something like that to rent a crowd. But Jesus didn't need to do anything like that because amazing things were happening wherever Jesus went. And the crowds can't get enough of it. Why did the woman have to push through the crowd in order to touch Jesus? Well, she was desperate and she was also slightly superstitious. She had this idea that if she just touched his cloak, everything would be well. And uh, she went to the right person, and of course God honours her for that. She went to Jesus because she was ill, she was unclean, she was suffering. She had spent all of her money on doctors, but was no better. Now that, of course, can still happen today, can't it? You can spend a fortune on doctors, Sometimes it makes no difference at all. So this is not a million miles away from our situation today. But what's the effect on this woman? Well, she pushes through, she touches Jesus, 
Immediately, verse 29, she knows that she's well, she's healed. What is the effect on Jesus? Well, he knows that someone has come trusting him. Lots of people have been bumping him, but somebody has come trusting him. And so you find that strange phrase in verse 30, that power had gone out from him. So Jesus knows, amidst all the pushing and shoving, that somebody has come who really needs his help. I think that's a rather wonderful thing, don't you? Uh, In what must have been a very chaotic moment, God so sovereignly overrules in the chaos that someone is being miraculously helped in the middle of it. Well, the disciples scoff at at Jesus for wanting to stop. Uh, They say, lots of people are bumping you. What on earth are you talking about? You see, at this point, they're still woefully ignorant. They still don't understand who Jesus is. And I love it that Jesus just ignores them at this point. In fact, I wonder if you noticed as the passage was being read that there are three occasions when people say something and Jesus completely ignores them. And I think we have to factor this into our view of Jesus. Because sometimes there are things that we say which in truth are complete rubbish and Jesus is not interested in them. Uh, They might interest us. Uh, We might think they're fascinating, but they don't interest Jesus. And here the disciples say, no, nobody special touched you. And by not responding, you see, Jesus is effectively saying, that's rubbish. And then uh, Jairus' friends come along. They say, your daughter has died. And effectively Jesus says, that's rubbish. And later they laugh at Jesus for suggesting that he's going to be able to raise her, and he effectively says, that's rubbish. Now, I think, I think this is interesting, because in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, where Mark is teaching us to trust the Word of God, he's also teaching us to be deeply suspicious of the words of men. Well, Jesus causes the woman to come forward, which I guess must have been excruciating for her, because She shouldn't really have been there. Why does Jesus do that? Well, he does it because he wants to give her a promise. He wants her to go home with a promise. Because he says to her in verse 34, your faith, in other words, trusting me, has healed you. And here's the promise. Go in peace and be freed, be made whole, from your suffering, from your affliction, from this disease. You see, he wants to make sure that this woman, who's come with a certain amount of superstition, does not go home as ignorantly as she came. He wants to make sure that when she goes home, her hope is firmly rooted in the word of God. You see, if she went home without the promise, she would have no guarantee that anything had really changed. Uh, If she was married, and we don't know whether she was or not, but if she was, uh, she might say to her husband, uh, I'm free, I'm healed, I'm whole, everything's well. And he might say to her, well, hang on, let's not get overexcited. Uh, This has been 12 years. Don't forget that a few years ago you went to the doctor, he seemed to get you right for a while, but then after a time the disease came back. 
And maybe her son might say to her, well, hang on, remember those pills that you were taking? They seemed to work for a while, but then it all came back. But Jesus, you see, has given her a promise. Go in peace, and the sense of it is, be continually freed from your suffering. Now, here's the point. Jesus gives this woman a word for her life. He gives her a word to stand on for her life. And you and I need his word to stand on in our lives, not just for the day that we die. You see, Scripture says that we do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And friends, I do hope that you are learning to live by the word of God, especially in these difficult, strange times. I hope you're learning to trust God's promises and that you've been storing up God's promises in your head and in your heart so that you can draw on them in your times of need. That's the idea behind the prayers that we send out every morning, praying the promises. We want you to be doing that, praying God's promises. And you see, if someone listening this morning wants to begin the Christian life, if that is you, you need a promise. You need the promise that says, come to me and I will give you rest. So that you can say, yes, that is exactly what I need, so I will come. Or think perhaps of people who've been Christians for some time, uh, but who think to themselves that God will love them when their discipleship improves. So they might be saying to themselves, well, as soon as I get my life together, God really will start loving me. Now, if that is you, you need the word of God. You need to know that he loves sinners and he sticks with sinners. Or think of people who struggle with their Bible reading and praying. We know that we ought to be doing it every day, but some of us do struggle with daily Bible reading and prayer. And we need God's word to increase our delight in talking to him and to lift our confidence in what he says to us. Maybe perhaps this morning you're heavy-hearted about your children. Well, you need a promise that God is interested in your children. And there are plenty of promises in Scripture teaching us that God is interested in our children, and you need to know what they are. Or maybe there's a physical ailment that's troubling you at the moment, and you need a word that assures you of his goodness, that he will carry you, and that he will help you. Or when anxiety takes over, or temptation knocks you over, we need a promise, don't we? What about the rest of your time today? Uh, You've enjoyed the service. I hope you have. You've sung your heart out. But perhaps a conversation later today turns sour. What do you do at that moment? Well, you need to go back to Scripture and be reminded that God is absolutely committed to sinful people and his steadfast love endures forever. He calls us to repent. Yes, he does. But he stays with us. And what about uh, when your emotions convince you that your life is useless? Well, you need a promise, don't you? Or when your ministry to your family or your small group or your friends has had so many setbacks and you're wondering whether it's worth going on. Well, we need a promise at that point, don't we? 
We need God's word for life. And you see, this woman walks home well with a promise, a promise for life. And Jesus, in his kindness, has saved her not only from her sickness, notice this, but he saved her from her gloom because he's given her a word for life. Now that brings us to the second word that Jesus has for us this morning, which is a word for death. Because in our passage there is both a word for life and a word for death. I know some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, but um, in case you haven't, there's a lovely moment right at the very end of the book where a character called Mr. Standfast must cross the river of death. And John Bunyan says it very beautifully. Uh, He's about to go into the river and Mr. Standfast says, This river has been a terror to many and the thought of it has often frightened me. But now I stand easy. The thoughts of where I'm going to and of the escort that awaits me on the other side lies like a glowing coal in my heart. I see myself at the end of my journey. My toilsome days are ended. I'm going to see that head which was crowned with thorns and that face which was spit upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearsay and faith, but now I'm going where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I delight. End quote. Now you see that confidence, that assurance, that, that joy, that peace is built on the promises of God that Christ will carry his people through the river of death to the other side. And those promises are built on the work of Christ, specifically, of course, his death and resurrection. And here in Mark chapter 5, there's a lovely little preview of that resurrection as Jesus conducts one of three New Testament miracles of raising someone from the grave. Uh, The details in Mark's account, I think, are important. So when people come to Jesus in verse 35, saying, why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. That is true. His daughter is dead. She has died. Uh, These men wouldn't have come and told Jairus his daughter was dead if she wasn't. She really is dead. But in the very next verse, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, trust me. See, what Jesus is saying is this, Jairus, you have a choice. You can either listen to these men, and they are telling you the truth, she has died, and you can leave it at that. Or you can listen to me, and I will speak something more wonderful and more powerful than the news that she's died. And Jairus decides that he will trust Jesus, which is, of course, a very good decision. Because when Jesus gets to the house, and in verse 39, he says, she's not dead, she's asleep. He does not mean that she's not dead in human terms. She is dead. But Jesus means that she is not dead in his terms, because he's able to get her up. You know, she is out of the reach of her parents. She's out of reach from her friends. She's out of reach from the doctors, but she's not out of reach from Jesus. He can 
and he will get her up. And he does it with a word. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now those are very loaded words, aren't they? Get up. Because you see, he's getting her up from death to this world. And that's why Jesus gives that very practical instruction to give her something to eat in verse 43. Because you see, she is weak and she's come back into a weak world. She needs to be given something to eat. The other shocking comment that Jesus makes in verse 43 is don't tell anybody. I mean, that must be the most challenging thing Jesus ever said to anyone. I've just raised your daughter. Keep quiet about it. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult that was. How could they keep it to themselves? How could they not tell the mourners outside that the little girl had been raised? Were they expected to go home saying, yes, uh, Jesus was right after all, she was only sleeping? Well, no, because they know she's dead. So I'm sure that one commentator, Cranfield, is right when he says that Jesus is asking them to minimise the news. He's asking them to make this thing as private as possible. Now, why is he doing that? Well, the reason is that Jesus has not come into the world to bring people backwards. He's not come to bring people out of cemeteries back into this dying world. No, he's come into the world to take people forwards from this world into the next. And the secret of the journey from this world to the next being a safe journey for the believer is because Jesus himself took a dangerous journey. You see, eventually Jesus is going to do something for this little girl, which is going to take her from this world to the next world by bearing her sins. And he's going to take every believer from this world to the next by bearing our sins. And you see, it's because he put himself into the firing line of God's justice and took what we should get that he's able to put us into the firing line of God's mercy so that we get what he should get. And that's how Jesus is going to do this. Although he speaks a word and says, little girl, get up, and of course she gets up. This is actually a preview of resurrection. The real resurrection is going to come about because of his death and resurrection. Because somebody has to pay. Uh, it's fairly easy, isn't it, to say, get up. But it, but it is expensive to pay. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once made this comment, which I found very helpful. He said, quote, I say it with reverence and on the authority of Scripture, that God cannot forgive sin just by saying, I forgive. If he could, he would have done so. Do you imagine that God would ever have sent his only begotten son to the cross if there had been any other way, but there was not. A word is enough to create the world, but it is not enough to forgive sin. The Son had to leave the courts of heaven and come down and take on human nature and be stricken on that cross. End quote. So you see, the death and resurrection of Jesus underwrite the promise that we will share in the resurrection. And that's why I think these two events intertwine. Because we're being taught so cleverly and so carefully. 
that we need the word of God for life as well as death. You see, I need the word of God at the end of this sermon. I need to go on believing that the word of God preached has not been a waste of time. I need the word of God to keep directing me in the way that I speak and think and live. And I need that today, tomorrow, this week, and in all the weeks to come. I need it, and so do you. And Jesus here gives us a word for life, as well as a word for death. And therefore we see how very kind he is, and very gracious, and of course very powerful. Because the words that he gives to us are the foundation on which we can stand as we live in this world and get ready for the next. Because Jesus delivers us from the gloom and darkness of this world (coughs) and he delivers us from the gloom and the darkness of death. If only we will put our trust in him. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we lift up our thanks to you that the Lord Jesus came into this world not only to live and to die and to rise, but to provide that most wonderful gift of eternal life. And you've also given us your promises on which we can stand hour by hour (coughs) and day, (coughs) day by day. And then when the end comes, we can stand on your sufficient word, your faithfulness, your mercy, and we can cross the river to the other side. We thank you for the great love, for the great care, for the great grace that you have shown to us in giving us all that we need for this world and the next. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.